And I want to speak to you about the promise of Christmas. And I'm putting the emphasis on Christ in Christmas. The promise of Christ in Christmas. As we celebrate the advent, the incarnation, God stepping out of eternity and into time in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. At our birth, unless you live in a totally bizarre society, we are named, not numbered, not labelled. Sadly, some of that comes later in life, but we are named. And names are important to God. And in fact, God knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your world and in your life. God gave names. And in some instance, he changed people's names as to connect them with divine purpose and to bring hope and a sense of a future into their lives. And in the coming of Jesus, he gave specific instructions through an angel as to who Jesus would be called. And in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 21, we read, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want to repeat that again. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's a revelation in the name of Jesus. He will save us from our sins. A.W. Tozer, who's one of my favourite authors, says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Just think on that for a moment. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, clearly, a healthy self-image is really, really important. Anybody who's lived with a fractured or uh, an injured self-image knows some of the struggle. And all of us do struggle in that area. None of us have got it together completely. And as important as a healthy self-image is, the real secret as to who you are, the key to your future is not your self-image, but your God image. Who is God in your thinking? What, what comes to mind when you think about God? And in the coming of Christ, the prophet Isaiah declared some things about Jesus. It's a wonderful prophecy, and you've probably seen it on a Christmas card, read it somewhere else, but it's a declaration hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the coming of the Messiah. And Isaiah prophesies this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This week and next, I want to explore those four names or designations given to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's four wonderful declarations Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's go to the first. Jesus declared to be Wonderful Counselor. They're not literal names given to Jesus, the Messiah, but they kind of describe something of his character. 
that hopefully you can connect to in your circumstance, in your situation. Jesus is my wonderful counsellor and he can be yours if he is not so already. The phrase wonderful counsellor in the Hebrew is two words, Pele Yoez, and I've probably mispronounced it, forgive me. But Pele means a miracle, a marvel, a wonder, something that's extraordinary, something that's incomprehensible or inexplicable, literally something that comes from another world. Yoez means to advise, to counsel, to devise, to give counsel that gives you purpose and direction for your life. And so in declaring that Jesus can be your and my wonderful counsellor, it's talking about counsel that comes from out of this world, divine counsel, God speaking into your life, into your circumstance, speaking purpose and connecting you to hope beyond your circumstances. Jesus really is worthy of wonder in so many ways. His incarnation is extraordinary. We celebrate it and I encourage you to read at least the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and Luke and just remember or get to know the story again of how God stepped into our world through the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was miraculous. The miracles he performed, extraordinary and worthy of wonder. His death and then his resurrection and ascension take your breath away in the enormity of what he did and what he accomplished. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 through 8, where it says, He gave up his divine privileges, he being Jesus, his equal with God, a member of the Godhead. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Truly, those words are extraordinary. They are breathtaking. If you reflect on them, think about it, of God setting aside all his divinity in the person of Jesus Christ, stepping into time, emptying himself of his divinity, not losing it, just not using it, and becoming dependent on the Father and the leading of the Holy Spirit and humbling himself, becoming one of us and then suffering and humbling himself to the point of death. No wonder Isaiah looked at that and said, this Messiah is wonderful, but he's wonderful counsellor. He's the one who loves us so much, seeking to be involved in the everyday of our lives. As counsellor, Jesus is always available. He's never too busy. And when he comes to your life, it's not with accusation and, and anger. It's with compassion. It's with tenderness. It's with kindness. He comforts as he guides us through the circumstances of life. Isaiah in chapter 11, still prophesying about this extraordinary Messiah, says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom 
and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And I just want you to think for a moment about some of those things, wisdom and understanding. Are you facing a situation where you need insight and wisdom? Do you have a need for divine counsel? Then let Jesus be your wonderful counselor. And let him bring to you the knowledge of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. It's not intimidation. It's not cowering. That's not the fear of the Lord. It's a sense of awe, a sense of wonder that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us, to die for you, to die for me. And he's never too busy to come to your aid. He's never distracted. He knows your name and he knows your circumstance. Paul writes, and he's talking about the preeminence, the magnificence of the Lord Jesus Christ once again in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2 to 3. And he says this, my goal is that they, speaking of us, may be encouraged in heart and united in love. That's a great goal. That they may know the mystery of God namely Christ. Now you need to understand the biblical concept of mystery is something that's hidden, but is now in the process of being revealed that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, you can go searching for wisdom all over the place and you may gain some You can acquire knowledge and our world is awash with so much knowledge. Most of us don't know how to process all of it. But when you come to Jesus, you find in him all the wisdom, all the knowledge that you'll ever need. And along with that, his heart for you to guide you, to lead you, to maybe correct you, redirect you. But he is your wonderful counselor. You and I can experience God's guidance in our lives. You may not hear an audible voice. An angel may not announce themselves and declare, do this, do that. But that still small voice that is the voice of God will speak. And the writer of Proverbs, and I love Proverbs, it's filled with such wisdom for everyday life, says this in Proverbs 3 and verse 6. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I want you to notice that. Seek his will in all that you do. Never say, oh, this is too big for God, and neither should you say this is too small, too insignificant. As you just acknowledge the Lord, invite him into your every day, he's eager to lead, to guide, to prompt, to open doors, to shut doors. Because Jesus is and will be to you a wonderful counselor. But let's move on to the second one. Jesus as mighty God. I like that. Jesus as mighty God. The Hebrew word for mighty, Gabor, is a powerful word. It means to have strength, to have power, and kind of like to be a superhero. And I'm a bit of a sci-fi fan, so I know most, if not all, of the superheroes. I wonder which is your favourite or if you just don't really care, and that's also all right. But the word also means to be a warrior. 
Not somebody who worries, but a warrior, a fighter. If you like, a battle champion. And I like that. That concept, I'm going into battle. I know I'm not up for the battle. But Jesus says, do you want me to fight it for you? I am Jesus, the mighty God. I am your battle champion in a situation. And right now you may be facing some overwhelming circumstances. Well, Jesus is just waiting for you to invite him into that circumstances, circumstance as mighty God to be your battle champion. After the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, there's a celebratory uh, hymn that is written or, or psalm, if you like. And in part of it declares how strong a warrior and mighty a warrior God is. And so we read in Exodus 15 and verse 3 to 6, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord, and the word Lord there is Yahweh, covenant God. The covenant God is his name. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And I want you to get this. If you invite God, Jesus, into your circumstance as mighty God, he comes as your battle champion. In his right hand is strength and power, and he can shatter the circumstances. It's not talking about shattering people, but situations and allowing for breakthrough and for you to be brought to a place of overcoming and victory because he loves you. See, the Bible says that all things are placed under the authority of the resurrected Christ. How about this in Ephesians 1 and verse 22? God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. It goes on to say, especially for the church's sake. And so he's our battle champion to protect us against the schemes of the enemy. Now, we don't want to get devil focused, but the Bible warns us not to ignore it. We don't glorify him. We don't blame him for everything, but we are called into a spiritual battle. The devil is real. Evil is real. But God is greater than all of that. The Apostle Paul, who went through some horrendous circumstances, declares this as part of his testimony in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 and following. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I want you to notice that the Lord will deliver you from every evil attack and he has the ability to rescue you and bring you to his eternal kingdom. When your time's up on this planet, he has the ability to secure you, not just for life, but for eternity. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you that opportunity in a few moments. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, the scripture says this, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again 
On him we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us. I want you to notice, I want to read that again. He has delivered us. He will deliver us again and he will continue to deliver us so we can set our hope. Not just a feeble hope, but a hope that is an anchor to your soul, a hope that has certainty, a hope that has confidence that Jesus is the mighty God. He's your battle champion. He's our battle champion, providing even in the face of impossibility. Jesus, on a number of occasions, declared this to his disciples. He looked at them intently as they dealt with an incredibly difficult situation. In fact, they had been defeated by it. And he looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. And I want you to catch this. God doesn't say you failure. God doesn't say, oh, you could have done better. And even if we could have done better. But he says, look, I understand sometimes from a human perspective, it seems impossible. You did your best, but with God, nothing is impossible. So why don't you let Jesus be your battle champion in your situation? This is such a staggering promise of provision and there's no limitation on God and therefore there's no limitation on his provision. The problem is, We need to acknowledge that we have a need. And sometimes we kind of go, I don't want to admit, I don't want to be needy, and I get that. But we are encouraged to bring our needs, our requests before God. The little ones, the medium-sized, the big ones. And in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus, in fact, rebukes a group of people because they said, I don't need anything. And in our modern society, our goal is to become self-sufficient and not need anything. And it's actually a false goal. I'm not saying don't work for your retirement or all those things. Don't do that. But your heart, your dependency, you're bringing your need. You should still do it regularly, daily, more than once a day before God. And he says this to the church at Laodicea, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. And he says, but you don't realise that from a spiritual perspective, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked, as it were, exposed. He says, come to me. I'm your battle champion. I can meet your need. He's our battle champion when we are exhausted, when we're weary. And the reality is I think most of us after the last two years are feeling a little bit tired. We've been dragging this thing around called COVID. We've been dealing with the complexities. And some of you on top of that have dealt with loss, loss of a loved one. Somebody going through a critical situation, you can't visit, you can't be there. I caught up with my mum and dad recently after the borders reopened between ACT and Victoria. And during the period since I lost, I shared a cancer operation. And I'm thankful that it's been a great outcome. But all that kind of stuff is just that extra drag. And then there's 
probably other disappointments, frustration, loss that you may have experienced in the midst of this situation. And in Isaiah, God promises this, Isaiah 40 and verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. How awesome is that? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I pray that sinks into your heart and soul. And finally, he's our battle champion if and when we face death. And unless Jesus comes back, which he has promised to do, you and I will face the reality of our own mortality, our death. But if we put our hope in Jesus, if we put our trust in the one who is the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the one who will save us from our sins, then we can face death with confidence. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, a great chapter on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says this, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. How? Through your own strength, through your own ability? No, no, no. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through his death and the power of his resurrection, Jesus defeated sin. So he could give you forgiveness, me forgiveness. And he defeated death so that death is swallowed up in victory. Our eternal life with Jesus forever and ever. There's an incredible promise of God's grace in this. You see, Isaiah 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Is spoken in a context, if you look at the first verse of Isaiah 9, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then it says, for unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And I want you to notice something there. At the Advent, the Christ event, Christmas as we now call it, the incarnation, a child was born. But it always was for the purpose that that child, the son of the most high God, would be given over to death and suffering and ultimately resurrection and victory for our brokenness, for our sin. That's a promise of grace. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 and verse 8 when he says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of God's love. 
He's not saying, hey, when you get your act together, then I'll love you and then I'll let my son die for you. It says, no, when we were at our worst, you and I at our worst, God still loves us and still sent his son to die for us. There's nothing that you've done that can separate you from the love of God except your choice. And I'm encouraging now, if you've never, ever done it, to say yes to Jesus, to make Jesus your choice this Christmas. As the world celebrates Christmas in all sorts of ways, and some of them are wonderful, we enjoy some of the trappings of Christmas, but the heart of it, the centrality of it, is a child born, a son given. God demonstrating his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you and for me.